So for our, uh, I have the honor and privilege of introducing an amazing man of God. Uh, he started as an intern with LifeSpring about three months ago, and in that time, we have seen him grow, grow, grow into becoming just an amazing man. And so, and he uh, is leaving tomorrow for nine months. So this is his last moment to be able to uh, just talk to us all and to give us a good word of God. Um, I ha- want to just give a warm live spring welcome for Jacob Ayers. Come on. This is it, the last service before we take off. Well, he'll be back before you know it, but, but I will not. No, today's pretty special for me. If you didn't notice the goofy-looking guys up here that aren't here normally, uh, one of them was my dad, and the other was a worship pastor from Spokane. Uh, actually, I got a whole slew of people that came over to visit. I'm really excited to talk today. That just made it extra special. I thought I was going to just be able to take off to Ghana tomorrow, but... They wrote me into talking to you guys first. So I'm going to start the series on 1 John today. Pretty excited. I've never started a series before. Never gave, actually, I've never given a sermon before. Well, I guess, all right, a couple hours ago I did. But anyways, before we start, I'm just going to give you a little background information on the book uh, before we get into it. Because as uh, in Dan's last series, he talked about giving context to the Bible so you don't take something for base value when it's not meant for that, and it gets all confusing. Um, So I'm just going to give you a little bit of information, kind of helps you understand where the author was coming from when he wrote the book. Um, Over half the New Testament is made up of books called epistles, which is just a fancy word for letters that got sent out to specific people, like groups of people or churches that just provided encouragement or teaching or guidance. Um, Yeah, they sent these out to a lot of different people, and today we're looking at the epistle of 1 John. You might have guessed it, but the man who wrote this book was named John. He wrote um, the Gospel John, and Second John, and Third John, and he also wrote Revelations. Um, but when you look at these letters, a lot of them have, in the beginning have these greetings. It like, specifically addresses a person or a group of people, but in First John, it does not have that. Uh, it makes a lot more sense when you realize what the book's for. Um, this one, rather than being to like one person or a church, was spread out to a bunch around the area. It's like a public service announcement. Just got set out to a bunch of churches. So they must have printed a bunch of them and just sent them all out. And uh, It was mostly in response to false teaching that was going on at the time. It was after Jesus died. So we wanted to correct that and also just reassure Christians in what salvation is and what it means that Jesus died and rose again and how that affects you. Um, yeah, after Jesus died, like I said, Christianity was starting to spread. People were hearing about what he was doing and what that means, which is awesome. Uh, people started hearing all this stuff, but uh, a lot of people started adding things to the gospel that weren't true or taking away super important parts. So you can see how that would be very dangerous. So John felt that it was important to uh, let people know the truth of what that actually meant. The biggest view at the time, uh, this is important to understand going into First John because he uh, addresses this directly, it's called Gnosticism. And there's two different groups uh, that believe two different things. One of them believed that when Jesus was on earth, he was just like a ghost or like a spirit floating around. He didn't actually have a physical body. It just looked like it. Um, so you can see that's kind of an odd uh, theory. And then the other, that was one of the groups. The other one was that Jesus was an actual man. He had a physical body, 
but the divine spirit of Jesus only came and entered him for like a small period of time, starting at his baptism and then leaving before he died. So Jesus wasn't perfect the whole time, just for a little bit of time, and he actually didn't die on the cross. Um, and both of these views stem from like an overarching belief that all matter is bad and all spirit is good. Um, so like no matter what, like just because you have a body, you have evil inside of you. This led to them thinking that repentance was not necessary, which is also very dangerous because it's like, well, just because I have a body uh, just comes with the territory. You know, you're evil because you have a body. My spirit's good, but the body's bad. Um, so as you can see, these are very dangerous things for the Christian church. Um, another, just one more thing too, Gnosticism. They believed that um, knowledge was the key to righteousness or holiness. There, if you could unlock some secret sort of knowledge, that's how you became righteous. So all this to say, John, with this epistle, wanted to set the record straight and let people know what the truth of Jesus was. So yep, we're looking at the first four verses of 1 John today. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to 1 John. Follow along as I just read these first four, and then we'll start to unpack them. In the Bible, 1 John is right before 2 John. I think we'll get it up there, and yeah, just follow along as I read. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard... We have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So right off the bat, in the first couple of verses, you can see how he confronts these Gnosticism views. One big thing that he says is, you know, Jesus wasn't just somebody that John and the apostles uh, heard about or read about, um, but they actually saw him and the miracles that he performed. They heard the words and teachings that he spoke, um, and also they physically touched him. So basically just counting out um, that he was a spirit or a ghost floating around. They're like, no, we touched him, we heard him, we saw him. He was a real man. Um, so that one, you can kind of see how he combats that view. And then the other thing you notice right off the bat, too, is that he says, you know, Jesus has been there from the very beginning with God. Um, like, and if you look into the Gospel John, he goes a lot more in depth, but uh, same author, he goes into it a lot more. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him is life and that life was the light of mankind. So John, being the author of both of these books, felt it very necessary to let you know that, hey, Jesus has been God with forever, or been with God forever, and that is where we find life. Um, he came down as a man, uh, died on the cross, rose from the grave to join God again, so that he is the embodiment of eternal life. And as I, as I was preparing for this, I was kind of praying over the scripture and just listening to what God had to say for me, and that was the biggest part that hit me is that that is where we find life in Christ Jesus. Like, Jesus literally is life. And that's, what, that's the first part I'm going to be uh, speaking about today. And as I was researching this, I, I read the, um, the Greek word for life that is used in the Bible, and it's beautiful. I'm sure you've heard Dan say it. Um, in the couple months I've been here, he's probably told me about nine different times what it means. So I'm assuming he's told you before, but I'm going to remind you. Um, Zoe is the word of uh, being life. It means of the absolute fullness of life, both essential and ethical. It's a life that's real and genuine, a life active and vigorous and devoted to God. It is the state of one who possesses vitality. 
And I looked that up and I read the, uh, the definition. I got pretty pumped up. Um, Christianity's not boring. It's not a list of rules that you just try and follow to be good. But you get to live a very cool, full, real, genuine, and vigorous life. Um, so as I was preparing for this, I mean, it encouraged me before I'm heading over to Africa. Um, I mean, not that it seemed boring, but this was just reassuring. Um, so last time in Pastor Dan's series two, he was talking about uh, kind of fact-checking the Bible with the Bible, uh, just to see if it all lines up. So I was thinking, I wonder if the Bible says this anywhere else, talks about this Jesus being life thing. Um, you're going to have to bear with me because it's going to get a little long-winded. But here's just a few examples of Jesus being life, uh, according to the Bible. If you remember earlier, I was talking about the Gospel of John in the first book, uh, verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Uh, later on in the same book, John chapter 10, he says, and this is Jesus talking, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And if you've been to church more than once, you might have heard this one before, John 14, chapter 6, um, or chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Galatians 2.20, because I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Second Timothy, in the very beginning, says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. In Romans 8, chapter 2, or chapter 8, verse 2, I did it again. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And then in 1 Corinthians, last one, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. And these are just the ones that I picked out that I liked. Um, there was plenty more that I chose not to include in this, but um, I didn't want to give too long of a list for you guys. But as you can see, if you start reading the Bible, um, it's got pretty much LED flashing lit up signs pointing you to the fact that life is found in Jesus. I mean, you can't avoid it. Those were from all over the place. You're going to come across that eventually. Um, and also, I think this is kind of a side note, but I think this is why it's very important to read your Bible. Like every day, if you're driving on the road that is life with Jesus, there's going to be times where you try and take a shortcut or a back road that's contrary to where he actually wants you to be driving. Um, but when you're reading the Bible, you'll find these little and sometimes very big course corrections that get you right back on that path to that, that Zoe life that's found with him. Um, so yeah, but if you remember back to those verses that I was reading, you'll start to notice a very big contrast between what life with Jesus looks like and what life without Jesus looks like. Just for example, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free. What did it set you free from? From a law of sin and death. And again, in Adam all die, and in Christ all will be made alive. It's pretty intense, but the Bible's just very clear about if you're looking for that Zoe life, the only way to find it is by reading the Bible and by believing in Jesus. Um, but unfortunately, you see a lot of people looking for that vigorous, active life in other places that aren't of God, whether it, they're trying to get famous or look for a, that higher position at a job. Um, some people look for it in addiction, or addictions like sex or food, drugs, all just being short-term satisfaction, but they expect to find this Zoe life in these things. Or some people, if, oh, if I only had more money, I could buy this Zoe life. Uh, but again, it's very, very clear that Jesus is the only way to find that life. I know uh, for myself, definitely fell into the trap of looking for that full life in somewhere that wasn't of God. Uh, just a little testimony uh, about my life real quick. I've gone to church my whole life. Haven't necessarily had the relationship with Jesus the whole time. Um, 
I would tell people I believed in God and that Jesus died for my sins, but I never had the constant communication. Um, so without him to actually guide and direct my life, I started looking for that life that's full and abundant and real and genuine. I started looking for that uh, in like music choices of mine and just hanging out with a bunch of friends um, in high school. We just made bad decisions. Um, and music and relationships are great if you use them according to God's will, how he set them up. But again, without me having Jesus to direct and guide my life and let me know what that looks like, I started doing it outside of what God wanted. And I start, it turned into sin very quick, but I still expected to find this full life in these things, and it just wasn't happening. Um, I started noticing this kind of split in my life. Uh, when I was with my friends, I wasn't super uh, hurried to talk about Jesus or my church involvement. I just kind of tended to stay away from it. And then when I was in church, I kind of avoided talking about um, my choices that I was making outside of the church, even though the people there were probably the ones that cared most about me and would have helped me walk through it. But still, the, it, I, just, I had this split going on. Um, and nowhere in the definition of that life that we're looking for does it say, oh, you're supposed to be different people in different areas of your life. It says the opposite. It tells you to be real and genuine, and I was being neither of those at the time. So finally, after this was happening for years, I just hit this breaking point. Um, actually, this year, it was when a pastor back in Spokane gave this sermon um, in the midst of all these tragedies that were going on back in Spokane. People were getting sick. Families were on the brink of kind of falling apart. Uh, children were potentially going to be affected by this. And he personally was dealing with, like, CPS in the court system for months and months and months. And it was just this heavy time for our church. And he would still get up every Sunday and give these, like, comforting, encouraging messages to the congregation. Um, bad news and more bad news kept rolling in. And he just got to this point where he kind of threw his hands up. He got behind the podium one day and just spent the whole time talking about this challenge to spend time with God. He goes, you know, I think I've said everything that I can say that would be comforting. He's like, I just have to point you to God now. So he issued this challenge to our church, and he said, if you spend an hour a day with God for 30 days, he's like, your life's going to look different. And he went as far as to say, if it doesn't look different, I'll quit my job, which I thought was pretty risky, but he really did believe it. And you could just see the passion behind it and just kind of the, I don't know what else to do except point you to God. So it was at this point that that dissension in my life kindly just bu or it finally built up to a point of, okay, I either need to take this seriously and like dive into what it could be, or I need to walk away. So I was like, okay, I'll take this challenge, see if my life, or my life looks different. So I was committed 30 days, I was going to spend an hour with God, and uh, the first day I walked in, closed my door, set a timer, I was like, okay, I'm going to meditate on what God has to say for me. And I think, I, I seriously think it was about five minutes before I walked out of the room. I, I didn't even come close to an hour. Uh, my mind just got scatterbrained, I could not focus. Um, I was still committed to walking out the challenge, but I just kind of set the bar a little lower the next couple days. I was like, all right, 10 minutes, I can do this. And I did, so I just started making these baby steps towards just spending time with God, and it was very, very refreshing to just go in and kind of just release the things that were kind of weighing me down, and like, okay, I'm just going to spend time in the presence of God. And um, the first, like, three weeks of this challenge, I didn't have a crazy revelation or anything like that. It was just that refreshing feeling, but in this last week, I got this this voice that I now know was God, but it was, it was saying, like, you know, you're not, I was working at Costco at the time, and it was saying, like, you're not supposed to be at Costco right now. Like, you're not supposed to be working there. And it was kind of small, and I was, I was super quick to write it off, saying, no, this is just me being a whiner. Like, I don't like going to work every day. I'm just, like, this is just me telling myself that I don't like my job. And so I, was, I wrote it off, but um, I couldn't avoid it the next six days. Like I said, the last whole week, 
it just kept coming back and back, and I was like, no, no, I'm just complaining about my work, but it got to a point where I was like, okay, this is obviously God. I cannot avoid it. It got to the point where I wouldn't even be spending time in my prayer closet, and I would get this feeling. Like, I'd be with my friends or even at work, and it's like, you know, you're not supposed to be there anymore. I have something else for you, and finally, I got fed up with it, didn't know what I was doing, so I called Pastor Dan. I was like, man, I have no idea what to do. I think God's telling me to quit my job. I don't know why. I don't know what I'm going to do next, and he was very nice and encouraging, and um, he said, you know, if you know that you know that you know it's God, he's like, I would do it. Just take this step of faith. He'll have something for you. He's not going to leave you hanging. So um, I didn't do that right away, as much as I respect Pastor Dan. I prayed about it and thought about it a lot, um, but I did. I eventually put in my two weeks, and uh, it, was, it was crazy giving up the security of just having a job and having no idea what was coming next, but I called him back and said, hey, I did it. I quit. Um, I don't know what's next, but... Uh, we were just kind of talking through that, catching up. I hadn't talked to him for a while. And that's when he let me know that LifeSpring was getting involved with Ghana. And as soon as he started talking about this, it was this overwhelming, like, that this is what I have for you. Like, you're supposed to go to Ghana. Good job quitting your job. Now you're going to go to Africa. And I was like, what in the world? <laughs> and so I called, or when I was talking to him, I was like, I think this is what I'm supposed to do. And he jumped on it real quick. He's like, all right, yep, you're going. So you're coming over, doing an internship. We're sending you off to Africa. Um, so we started praying and planning from there. It was very awesome, um, and that's how I got to where I am today. But I, I want to let you know one more thing, too. I was involved in a small group um, at the time that I was going through all this. We were doing pretty much a book study for a C.S. Lewis book. Um, I mean, we prayed and ate together, too. It wasn't just for the book, you know, but it was a small group that saw the switch from me looking for that life, making dumb decisions, partying with my friends, all that, and expecting to have a full life. But then they saw me switch into this life that was like just so devoted to Jesus and they walked through all the confusion and anxiety with me uh, they they were just there to let me know what it's going to look like with Jesus being more involved in my life and they're super encouraging investing all this time into me and um, I was super thankful of that but the craziest part for me was all, all the people in the small group came up to me individually and would say hey I just want to let you know like this is very encouraging to my faith to see all this or see walking through this and um, after all of them had said it to me, I kind of felt a little bad because <laughs> I was like, well, I'm not trying to be encouraging. Maybe I should have been trying, but it just happened. Like, um, just walking out the life that God called me to, I was encouraging them and building them up at the same time they were investing in me and building me up. And it was just this mutual growth that was going on. It was incredible. Um, and that really, and not only did I have that in that small group, but uh, my group of friends from the church back in Spokane, they were right alongside me, and then when I started doing this internship over here, I met incredible people over here that did the same thing. I would not be where I am today without um, the people that I met along the journey, and that leads me right into the next point on the third verse in 1 John that we're going to be looking at. It says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So on this, he's just making a point to say that eternal life that Jesus is, that Zoe fulfilling, active, vigorous life, that you're not supposed to walk through it by yourself. You're not called to walk through that on your own. Um, and as, as I was reading more into this, I realized this idea of fellowship has been going on forever. It's not this new thing, like even with Jesus. It's been going on forever. If you remember back to the beginning of the Gospel of John, it said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. So like I said, it's been going on forever. It's this thing that we are called to be a part of that has been there since the beginning. And I can tell you that fellowship has done more for my faith than I can even say. Like just with the stories of the small group, the church in Spokane, and you guys, 
I definitely wouldn't be ready to go to Africa if it weren't for the people that I've been in fellowship with and the things that they have done for me and my faith. Um, I looked up the definition of fellowship, and it is the friendly association between people who share an interest. So as Christians, everybody has at least one interest, which is Jesus. If you call yourself a Christian, so you do not have an excuse to not be in friendly association with each other, as hard as it might be. You have to be friendly to everybody. Um, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, it goes further into this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So I read that, and it's interesting. I'm reading this spiritual warfare book at the same time to prepare me before I go off to Ghana. And um, I just noticed the huge difference. The enemy wants you isolated and by yourself. Um, but the opposite of that is what God wants. He wants you to be in community with other believers and walking through tough stuff together. It's not easy to go, out or go at it on your own. Um, actually, one of my favorite verses in the Bible uh, talks about this. It's 1 Thessalonians 5.11. My mom used to have it posted on the fridge when we were kids, and anytime my sister and I were going to school or youth group or anywhere where there's people, she would remind us of it. It says, um, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And that's been so powerful and meaningful to my life. Even in that time when I wasn't necessarily in the greatest relationship with Jesus, I would still, she would still tell us this verse, still read it on the fridge, and if I was grumpy or woke up on the wrong side of the bed, it was just a reminder, like, hey, it's not all about you. Like, get out there and encourage somebody. And in that, if you remember the life group story, I mean, you, they were I was encouraging them by just walking through what God had for me, you know? So you wake up and you just encourage people, even if you're feeling grumpy, it'll help somebody else out. It's not all about you. No, but in uh, another verse in John uh, 13, 34 and 35, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so we're able to bring glory to God by loving the people we're in fellowship with, not just in the reason that we are loving on a person, which God does call us to do, but also we are being an example to people on the outside of what Jesus' love looks like. By doing that correctly, people will look in and say, what is that? And then you can tell them that this is what Jesus calls us to do. So it's kind of a double whammy there. You get to bring glory to God twice, which is awesome. Um, but that brings me to the last verse we're looking at today, too. Uh, it's verse 4. It says, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So with that real, genuine, active, and vigorous life, I've been talking about it, while you're walking through that in community, you are also supposed to be filled with joy. Um, and it is very important to know what joy means biblically. It is not happiness, which is what I thought in the very beginning. Joy is not based on circumstances or feelings that come and go at all. Joy is constant. It is actually a characteristic of God. So when you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have that characteristic of joy. It is not a happiness that comes and goes with whatever you're feeling or whatever you're walking through in life. Um, joy is actually the source of a feeling of happiness. So anytime you're happy, that comes from that characteristic that is of God. Um, in Acts, it has this beautiful display of the difference between those. Um, it actually talks about Paul, along with the other apostles, being filled with joy after they were flogged for spreading the name of Jesus. Um, it's Acts uh, chapter 5, verse 41 and 42. And before I read them, I just want to let you know that this is, at this time, they're in front of the Sanhedrin, which are a, just a group of religious people that brought them into court, and um, they're trying them for spreading the word of Jesus. And this is what it says. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ, or yeah, that the Christ is Jesus. 
It says they rejoiced after being flogged. I don't, like, joy and happiness have to be different because after I got flogged, I would not be happy for any reason. But, but you can still be filled with joy after something like that. So that's what got me to read into it. Um, you can't muster up those feelings of happiness all the time. So you're called to call on the joy that is of God to walk through life. Even if you're walking through tough times um, in community with other people, helping them through it, you are still called to be joyful. Um, maybe not happy, but you're supposed to be filled with joy, and you're still supposed to encourage and build those people up. And the easiest way i found to do that is to just keep an eternal mindset. And if you turn to God in every situation, you're going to be filled with that joy that's of Him. So all of this is, I just want you to remember this week as you go out, um, that Jesus is eternal life. Through Him is the only place that we find that fulfilling, active, vigorous, real, genuine you possess vitality. Um, that life is found through him. Uh, but you don't get to do it alone, or you're not called to walk through it alone. You have to, you're supposed to be in community with other believers, so you can encourage and build each other up. You're supposed to mourn with them, laugh with them, cry with them, celebrate with them, and be filled with joy. Yep. So I'm not sure if the band's coming up to play another song or not this time. But if they are, we're going to pray and sing a song, and then I won't see you for a while. Yeah, I wasn't too nervous going into this because if I botch the message, I mean, I won't see you till June. <laughs> no, but um, let's pray and then we'll walk through whatever's next. So Jesus, we thank you for the full and amazing life that you uh, created and call us to live. Um, I just ask that you teach every one of us more about your character this week. And I just, I just want to encourage everybody here to take that challenge of spending time with God Start out however long you need it, but um, your life will look different if you just spend time listening to God, meditating on God, not asking for things or even people to pray for, which is a form of prayer, but this one, this specific challenge, just spend time in the presence of the Lord and listen and quiet your mind. Um, I just ask that you change each one of us this week, God, and bless our time of fellowship and just create opportunities for us to show others um, the love that you created and just give us an opportunity to love like you loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.